Charles will be that side and Minnie's own will be that side. So please feel free to take them out now and bless them in the name of Jesus. Amen. Cool. And Exodus uh, chapter 5, if you want to turn in your Bibles there. And I'm excited for this morning. Who's excited? Are you? Wow. Uh, that didn't sound that exciting, hey? Who's excited for this morning? I'm excited. God's going to do something really special today. If it's your first time with us, can I just say a big, big welcome to you? It's an absolute honor and a privilege to have you here. And whoever your friend is that brought you or whatever, or however you heard of us, just know that you're welcome here. And please can I encourage you not to rush out after the service, uh, but there'll be someone with an iPad somewhere, um, Alice, who is there. Um, just go and have a chat to Alice and she'll just connect you and get your details and grab a cup of tea and coffee, because that's what relationship starts with, is a tea or a coffee and a connection. Amen? So, Exodus chapter 5, Exodus chapter 5. Who thought Tim did a good job last week? I think he did a fantastic job. I thought he um, really opened up the book of, Mo- book of Moses, book of Exodus um, to us. But can you go into Spotify and have a listen to that if you haven't heard it? Because we're kind of going through a mini series here um, in this book. And I really feel that God's on something here. Um, and it's so funny because Dan, when I saw him this morning, I said, uh, he's like, okay, what are you sensing? And all of that, I mentioned uh, promises. And, and then Dan had literally written down the scripture with promises on it. Um, and the title of my sermon today is a P- The Pain of a Promise. So God is doing something. We hadn't spoken about this. So it's incredible when God does that. Um, but who knows that promises carry a bit of pain with them? Anyone know what I'm talking about? Anyone just had a word from God and it just all went so smoothly. Your whole life just kind of came into order and everything just worked out and you had no troubles, no trials, and everything was peaceful and rosy. Anyone had that? <laughs> One person, okay, true. Sorry, you're American, so it's a bit different. Uh, <laughs> well, in South Africa, it gets worse. <laughs> Who knows what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, no, I'm not going to make a joke there. I thought I would. But anyway, Exodus chapter 5 is really going to talk about this. It says this. Remember, Tim was talking about Moses being called by God, and Moses was saying, Lord, please send someone else. That was what Tim was sharing with us. And I don't know, I've been there. I've been there this uh, last few weeks even. I thought, Lord, am I even the right person? Anyone ever had that question? Because sometimes you think the guy preaching at the front thinks he's got it all together or whatever. I don't. <laughs> Can I just, am I allowed to be real here? Am I allowed to just be like, hey, there are moments where I think God's got the wrong person. Genuinely, genuinely. And you know, the first Sunday back, I was, that whole week before, I thought, God, I don't feel like, I, I feel like I'm meant to be coming with this last like vision and getting everyone pumped. I don't even know where we're going. <laughs> Am I allowed to say that? Ish. And then, you know, you know, it's funny is um, when uh, T- Tim's dad actually came to me after the service, and this is all he said to me. He said, um, Dylan, when I see you doing this, I just know 100% more than anything else that you, this is what you're meant to be doing. Didn't know anything about what I was feeling, but just a little bit of encouragement literally just injected hope back into that calling. Now, I'm praying that today, that's what this message can do for you today, where some of you are thinking, am I even there, whatever, just a little bit of encouragement can really put courage, encourage into your life so that you can go into the fullness of God and all that he's called you for. Amen. So Exodus chapter five, it says this, afterwards... 
After what? Well, verse 31, it says, when they heard the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery, they bowed down and worshiped. So remember the people of Israel have Moses coming in and say, you're gonna be delivered. You're gonna be brought into freedom. After that, after they've just received the promise of God that they're going into a new chapter in life and a new freedom that they didn't know they could possibly walk into. After that, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, let my people go so that they may hold a festival to me in the desert. Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord and I will not let Israel go. Then they said, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Now let us take a three-day journey into the desert to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God or he may strike us with plagues and with the sword. But the king of Egypt said, Moses and Aaron, why are you taking the people away from their labor? Can you say their labor? You say it like you mean it, their labor. <laughs> Please Lord, not today. <laughs> I'm just thinking, I'm just thinking, let's, uh, <laughs> I just know how the Lord has a sense of humor. Halfway through the sermon, I'm gonna be running out saying, Dan, finish it off quickly. <laughs> I keep saying, Dan, is this the day? We had a curry kind of thing last night to try and, you know. But anyway, um, get back to your work. Then Pharaoh said, look, the people of the land are now numerous and you are stopping them from working. Can you say working? That same day, Pharaoh gave this order to the slave drivers and foremen in charge of the people. You are no longer to supply the people with straw for making bricks. Let them go and gather their own straw, but require them to make the same number of bricks as before. Don't reduce the quota. They are lazy. That is why they're crying out, let us go and sacrifice to our God. And verse nine, I love this. It says, make the work harder. Can you say harder, please? For the men so that they keep working and pay no attention, can you say attention, to lies. Amazing few verses there. That as they, after receiving this great promise from God that they're gonna walk into this freedom and God's heard them, he's concerned about them. God's seen their suffering. Suddenly after that, they, they go and what do you expect? Do you expect them, let's speak to Pharaoh and once we've spoken to Pharaoh, we're just gonna all walk into freedom and everything's gonna be happy and rosy. You know what happens? Pharaoh says, who is this God that you are talking about? Who am I that I should obey this God? I'm the king, why should I let you go and do this? You people are lazy and that's why you're doing this. So what does he do? He makes the work harder and he requires them to make the same number of bricks, but this time without straw. That's hard. Sounds like getting a job at McDonald's and being told make a hundred hamburgers, but you gotta get the, the beef. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I choose a different job. But these guys couldn't choose because they were in slavery. And you see what happens here is Pharaoh has a fear that the people, because they're too numerous, they're gonna walk and, and fight up against them. And so out of that fear, he tries to control them. You see, the root of slavery is fear. The root of slavery is fear. Romans 8.15 says this, that the God has not given us a spirit of slavery again unto fear but the spirit of sonship. And by that spirit, we cry, Abba, Father. God gives you a totally different spirit. 
But then it carries on, and I love this. It says, the slave drivers and the foremen, in verse 10, went out and said to the people, this is what Pharaoh says, I will not give you any more straw. Go and get your own straw wherever you can find it, but your work will not be reduced at all. So the people scattered and they were trying to find it. And verse 13, the slave drivers kept pressing them, saying, complete the work required of you for each day, just as when you had straw. And the Israelite foremen appointed by Pharaoh's slave drivers were beaten and were asked, why didn't you meet your quota of bricks yesterday or today as before? And then they went and appealed to Pharaoh, this is not just, you can't require us to make the same number of bricks without straw. And in verse 17, Pharaoh said, lazy, that's what you are, lazy. That is why you keep saying, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Now get to work. You will not be given any straw. You must produce your full quota of bricks. The Israelite foremen realized they were in trouble. Can you say trouble, please? When they were told, you are not to reduce the number of bricks required of you for each day. And when they left Pharaoh, they found Moses and Aaron waiting to meet them. And they said, may the Lord look upon you and judge you. You have made us a stench to Pharaoh and his officials and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Moses returned to the Lord and said, oh Lord, why have you brought trouble upon this people? Is this why you sent me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has brought trouble upon this people and you have not rescued your people at all. It's an amazing, amazing few verses. And I don't know about you, but I'm really praying that this can speak to you because here's the reality. is Pharaoh had a strategy to control the people that I'm gonna keep them working, keep them working, keep them working. In verse nine, so why? So they do not pay attention to lies. You know what's so funny is that their attention was actually to the truth that he was trying to keep them from. But he said that I don't want them paying attention to lies. So what he does is he puts them under a spirit of performance of trying to keep working, keep working, keep working so that he can keep their attention captivated to their work rather than to their worship. And you see in our day and our age, I don't know about you, but the spirit of Pharaoh is more alive than ever before. Look at the culture that we're in. When is it work enough? Those of you that are nearly hitting retirement age, It's just been extended by another five years. When's it gonna stop? I think it's just crossed the 70 year mark. Why? Because there's not enough money in the pensions. So guess what? People are gonna be working and working and working rather than slowing down their lives. They're just gonna keep having to produce and produce and produce. Why? Could it be that there's a strategy in society that actually keeps us working, working, working that we never stop to consider what are we worshiping? because we are worshiping our work rather than the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And we wonder why in society we're so broken. Maybe it's because there's a slave driving thing that just keeps us on this treadmill of performing. And you said in people's jobs, it's almost like a mark of honor that the harder I work, the longer I work, the more holy I am or spiritual I am. What if I said to you guys, you know what? I just spent the last two weeks just chilling out, doing nothing. What would you think? Lazy. <laughs> you like Pharaoh, all of you. <laughs> You'd think, what is that? Would you see that as something holy or would you just see it as something lazy or optional? 
I come from a culture where I remember holidays weren't celebrated in any way, really. It was kind of like a, in South Africa, an overseas holiday was a big thing. You, if you'd got one of those in your lifetime, you were, you were like, hey, and you had made it in life. <laughs> you know, the, the first time I went overseas, I think, I, what was it? I was 19 years old. I mean, your guys see is a little bit smaller. So to be fair on you, you know, it's a bit closer, but I'll see as, you know, it's a far away. But here's the thing, is when you suddenly slow down, you actually start thinking about why you're doing what you're doing. And I think that the, when you look at our society and look at our lives, when was the last time you thought about what's captivating your attention? What's captivating your attention and actual, what is your thinking? Because if the enemy can control what you are thinking, he can tr control what you are doing. And when you realize that your battlefield in your mind is one of the greatest battlefields that you need to work through, that the promises of God, God can speak a word like I'm speaking to you today. There is freedom, there is hope, there is strength. As Darren was saying, there's all these promises of God. What does the enemy come in? There's this battlefield of no, there's not. Oh my goodness, you'll feel weak tomorrow when you wake up. And when you have that moment, do you choose to believe and partner with your feeling or believe and partner with the truth that has been spoken? over your life because the enemy will do everything he can to steal the promises of God from you remember when Jesus talked about sowing the seeds what happened the enemy came and tried to steal the seed that was sown why because the seed was the word of God that came into them and you know the word for seed and I'm going to be a little graphic here but it's the word spermata in Greek what do you think comes from the word spermata sperm why because within seed was the DNA to reproduce after its own kind. Same way, when the word of God comes into your life, it has the very DNA to reproduce after its kind, which is in the likeness of God. That is what the promises of God do. And when you allow that seed to be stolen, there's no reproducing into the likeness and image of Christ. And actually what we see here is the people encountering that and they have to keep working so they pay no attention. The strategy of slavery is controlling your thinking. You know, so many people, if you care and you don't believe in Jesus, you might be thinking, I don't have time for religion or Christianity or whatever you think. Here's the thing is you do have time, but could I just ask you a question? Could it be if there was a devil and he really existed, even if you don't believe in him, could it be that if he did exist, what do you think his aim would be to do? To keep you on a treadmill so that you don't slow down and ask the question, who is this God in heaven who made me? So what, what he does today, maybe he's not make, giving you bricks without straw. Maybe he's giving you an endless Instagram feed that you just keep scrolling down. If he can keep you scrolling, he's gonna keep you thinking how he wants you to think. Maybe he's given you an endless Facebook post. I mean, I was on Facebook the other day. I'm like, what am I doing with my life? Why do, you know, I'm really not, I'm getting into, into Instagram to try and relate to this upcoming generation, you know, uh, trying to work on knitting the generations together. But uh, Instagram, guys, it's something, something I just do not understand about it is, why are people taking pictures of their food? Like, I, 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 I still do that, and it's not even like it's good food. I, I was like, 
why are you taking picture of a steak? Like, is your aim to make everyone jealous of your steak? I mean, when it's noodles or something, I'm like, oh, no, why? What are we doing? And then people actually like it. I thought, I'm, I'm quite a busy person, but I'm like, where do you find the time to like a picture of a steak? What's going on? But here's the thing, you keep scrolling, keep scrolling. Why? Because you keep having this time that goes into something that gives you no return. Or could it be if you were the enemy and you were the devil and you were alive, could it be that you would keep people comparing themselves to everyone else so that they never satisfied in themselves? Could it be that I was at the gym with uh, Josh because we're bulking, as as you can see. I'm really, I'm really struggling with this bulk. I haven't been too good. But, um, but Josh, Josh comes out, and we're at the gym, and he, uh, you know, he just picks up like a 20 kilogram weight. I haven't picked up a 20 kilogram weight, but I'm not going to let him beat me, so I'm going to pick up the weight too. Thing nearly pulled my back muscle out. I tell you that much. So this guy is strong. I tell you about. But. Me and Josh had a good gym session. But the worst thing we could do after that is go into Instagram and find like bodybuilders or whatever and just look and then think, dude, we got such a long way to go. Why? Because comparison will steal every bit of joy in you. Why? Because you, this is the thing, and my focus here is be careful what's grabbing your attention. Any bit of satisfaction or contentment can be stolen in an instant on social media. And Pharaoh just keeps them working. And I just would put to you, could it be that he's keeping us scrolling in the Western culture that we're in? Keeping us comparing. When was the last time to take a week off Instagram and see if your happiness levels might increase? Maybe, just throwing it out there. Do you know, um, is this okay? Have I just, okay. I think I should do a generational thing. Should we get Facebook next? All the parents in the room, <laughs> I am a parent. I'm part of the Facebook generation, just saying. Zuckerberg and me are mates. Um, but uh, here, here's a, the thing is, in verse 13, it says, the slave drivers kept pressing them. Can you say kept pressing them? Come on. He kept pressing them. You, you know what's, what's interesting? Have any of you ever felt like you are just keeping on being pressed by things around you? Every time you think you've made a break out of it, it's like there's this pressing that's coming on the promise of God in your life. Some of you I know have been called to ministry or to some kind of business venture or some kind of new career path. And there's this thing of as soon as you're about to take a step out into that promise, what happens? It's like this constant pressure that comes on you to try and get you to abandon that promise. Well, I wanna tell you something, friends. No matter what pressure comes on you, the promise of God is secure and firm throughout the ages. Why? Because the God in heaven is faithful from before you were born. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God that has been through generations, the God that will consistently be there, the God that when your great ideas about God die, He will still be there. Why? Because He is who He is. He says, I am who I am, as Tim shared last week. But the thing is, when you think, when will this end? When will this constant pressure end on my life? When will this mental health battle that I'm going through end? When will this business trouble that I'm going through end? When will this manager that I'm really struggling with, my boss at work, whatever, when will it end? Well, I wanna tell you, my friend, 
The times of God are perfect, but the pain of a promise is there can be a patience, period. The Bible says in Hebrews 6, 12, that through faith and patience, they inherit what was promised. You see, we're in a generation that doesn't like the patience part. We are. We love the instant miracles. And I'm, I love the instant miracles. And I want more of that. But what worries me sometimes is people do not know how to hold on to a promise anymore in perseverance because they expect instant gratification. So if someone gets a promise or a prophetic word, they abandon it at the first sign of conflict rather than pressing through and actually realizing sometimes the confirmation of God speaking to your life is the opposition in your life. It's not a popular word, is it? You know, Smith Wigglesworth, I think, was the one who said, if you don't run into a devil every now and again, you're probably going in the same direction. It's true. <laughs> Sometimes, you know, the big words come and they're like, oh, wow, God, what, what? And then something comes that's totally opposite to that. And I say, thank you, Jesus. You've just confirmed the promise of God for this area of my life. I will not allow the enemy to steal it. It's actually holding to it no matter what comes or what may come. Amen. Come on. It says this, um, verse 18. Get to work. You'll not be given any straw. You must produce your full quota. Who here are producers? Who here enjoys producing? You like to be working and getting a task done and seeing the result. Who here is like that? Come on, all these administrative people that are there. How many of you are perfectionists? Oh, a few of you. I would drive you crazy. I'm so far from a perfectionist. I mean, I'm one of those guys that are like, if it's, oh, it looks good enough, let's just go with it. You know, let's not waste the time trying to get perfection. But anyway, um, but the thing is, slavery was focused on producing and performing. It got them on a constant treadmill. Have any of you been to an airport and tried to run up the escalators? Yes. What happens? If you try and walk up the escalator, you end up in the same place. You put in all the effort, but you're not going anywhere. You gotta run quicker than it. You see, religion is like that. That's what Pharaoh, the Pharaohic system, I don't even know if that's a word, is it creates something of you walking up this escalator and it's coming down and you're trying to walk up, you're trying to walk up, you're trying to walk up, but you're staying in the same place, same place, same place, same place. That's called slavery. You know what sonship is? is when Jesus comes, he actually takes you right to the top of the escalator so you're not performing to produce something for God so that he's happy with you, but you're working from the joy of God already and the happiness of God already that you produce from a place of sonship, not for sonship. The difference is you're not performing to be loved by God, you are already loved by God and therefore you work from a place of being loved, not for love. But when we look at our culture today, so many people are trying to perform to be loved. So you get up and you say, if Anna wants to put makeup on, that's her choice. She's loved with or without her makeup. Why? Because she's my wife. Come on. <laughs> but if you put it. <laughs> oh man, I'm just going to bother. But if you putting the makeup on in order to be loved, maybe there could be something wrong. Come on. What if God actually looks, I, I took my wife on a date yesterday and man, she is beautiful. Most beautiful pregnant woman I've ever seen. And she is, I mean, 
literally nine months pregnant pretty much. Baby could come out any time right now, so anyone be ready, please. Um, I think the Lord's just got to, yeah, it'll just be fun. But um, we, got, uh, we got auntie here and everything, so it's all good to go, hey? But here's the thing, is we work from a place of being loved, not for love. It is so important, but the Pharaoh system would keep you driving, keep pressing you to perform rather than to be accepted by grace. Amen. And it says this in verse 22, it says, you have not rescued your people at all. Moses was so frustrated. He said, ever since I went to speak to them, all that's happened is trouble has come. And I, I, I love that because sometimes when we try, have you ever tried to help someone and it's just got worse? Who knows what I'm talking about? Where you think, my goodness, I, I, I tried. All I'm doing is trying to help. And it seems like every time I try, it just makes it worse in their life. That's what Moses and Aaron felt like. They felt like, wow, what, you know, ever since, I mean, here's the thing. I can help you with the Bible and property. Those are probably the two things. If, if you come to me for help, I can kind of help you in those areas. But if you come to me to help you service your car, let me just tell you something. I can help you, but it's going to be like this. You pr it's probably going to get worse, and, it's, and I don't know how to make it better. I, I'd have every good intention to help you, but that's just not my area of expertise. Now, remember, Moses and Aaron felt like they were unqualified already, and then it just seems to be getting worse. They'd just be confirming, I'm not qualified to do this job. I'm not qualified to do this. I'm not qualified to do this. Well, I want to say the Bible says in Colossians 1.12 that the Father has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the sons. You might be the worst mechanic ever, but when God qualifies, He qualifies beyond your natural ability. So I will service every one of your cars if you want there to. But there will be a waiver to say. Yeah. But sometimes it doesn't look like it's getting better. And I just want to encourage you that the, this generation, that God's way is not our way. God's thoughts are not our thoughts. So instead of doubting the promise, maybe it's time we start believing and walking in faith beyond what we can see. If faith is living by not what we can see, but by faith beyond what we can see, then surely we have to realize that sometimes things around us might look crazy and look like everything's going wrong and that we've made the wrong decision, whatever it is. But in those moments, where do we go? Do we go to the place of unbelief or do we step to the promises of God, the word of God and say, actually, Lord, your word says this, that you will never leave me nor forsake me. So I'm not even going to pray for you to be with me because I know you already are. I'm standing on the promise of God. I remember my one youth leader, he used to take his Bible and he'd stand on it. He'd stand on it. Why? Because he's standing on the word of God. He went through a season. People are like, oh my goodness, whatever. I'm standing on the, I love my Bible. I'm actually going to repent after this. But here's the thing is I can see like the, some people judging me right now. Repent. The thing is, I'm standing on the word of God. And you'd stand on it and say, the promises of God are true. I'm not moving from this. I remember at two o'clock in the morning, someone standing on this word that God, this might be a difficult season, but your word says, this will I will stand on your word. Stand firm in the truth of God. Stand firm in the, what the word of God says. Don't stand on your opinions and your thoughts. Oh man, hallelujah. Hallelujah. 
Hallelujah. Come on. Oh. God is here and he wants to speak to you. And it says in, in chapter 6, verse 4, it says this, I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, where they lived as aliens. Moreover, I've heard the groaning of the Israelites who the Egyptians are enslaving, and I've remembered my covenant. I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Amen. You know, sometimes you need to be reminded of who God is. You know, sometimes when we look at the promises of God, we can get so focused inwardly and it's about me and this. Sometimes what we need to do is just look up and say, God, you are the God who will do this. I can't, yeah, yeah, that was close. You are the God that will fulfill your promises. You are the God that has a way that I don't even know about, that you have been there from eternity before. You are who you say you are. You are the same yesterday, today, and forever. You are that same God, and I'm gonna hold to that revelation of who you are. I don't know where this is going, but I know you are faithful. Amen. Come on. Frustration is part of the process of a promise. And how many of you get frustrated with the promises of God? Uh Uh-oh. How many of you just have perfect faith all the time and you're just wonderful and you you just trust God implicitly? Yeah, Danny, I saw that hand. (laughs) We don't want to be comparing to one another, but (laughs) but here's the thing. Frustration is part of holding to a promise in God. Frustration is one of the things that I struggle with, I'll be honest with you. If you like me and you want to run at a million miles an hour, part of the process is actually, God, your timing is at work here. And you're working something in me beyond just my timing. And I was at a, an, a, like a property networking event thing, and one of the young guys came to me after I'd done a little talk thing, and he said, uh, he told me what he wanted to do and all of this, and we were, we were chatting. And then he said this to me, and it was, it was so sad. I said, well, bro, what, what's your dream? What, what do you want to do? Why do you want to get into problems? Like, what is, your, what is your dream? And he said, oh, no, no, I don't, I don't have dreams. He said, because you always, they don't happen. I was like, you are going to meet Jesus. And you're going to be dreaming big. But this guy, because of the disappointment that he'd experienced, from his upbringing, I mean, I didn't go into his whole pastoral history in that moment, but I will, that he opened up a little bit and I saw the pain of promises that were broken. And I said, actually, there's a scripture in Psalm 126 that says, when the Lord brought back the captives to Zion, we were like men who dream. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues were songs of joy. I think some of us need to realize is when we were captives, when he brings us back to the presence of God, we dream again. And one of the true signs is I want to be a part of a church where we dream so big that we change history, where we dream bigger than just Milton Keynes. We dream bigger than just this nation. We dream bigger into the nations of the earth because the heartbeat of God is to touch the nations of the world. That is the heart of God. But I don't know if you've heard this story, and uh, it's the one of a guy, Darby. It's a famous uh, like business story, but it says this. He was, he was caught up by the gold fever in the gold rush days, and he went west to dig and grow rich. 
He had never heard that more gold has been mined from the brains of men than has ever been taken from the earth. He staked a claim and went to work with a pick and shovel. After weeks of labor, he was rewarded by the discovery of shining ore. He needed machinery to bring the gold to the surface. Quietly, he covered up the mine, retraced his footsteps to his home, and told his relatives and a few neighbors of the strike. They got together money for the needed machinery and had it shipped. The uncle and Darby went back to, the work, to work the mine. The first carload of ore was mined and shipped to a smelter. The returns proved that they had one of the richest mines in Colorado. A few more cars of that ore would clear the debts. Then would come the big killing profits. Down went the drills, up went the hopes of Darby and uncle. Then something happened. The vein of gold ore disappeared. They had come to the end of the rainbow and the pot of gold was no longer there. They drilled on and on and on, desperately trying to find the gold again, all to no avail. Finally, they decided to quit. They sold the machinery to the junk man for a few hundred dollars and took the train back home. The junk man called in a mining engineer to look at the mine and do a little calculating. The engineer advised the project had failed because the owners were not familiar with fault lines. His calculation showed that the gold would be found just three feet from where the derbies had stopped drilling. That is exactly where it was found. The junk man took millions of dollars in ore from the mine because he knew enough to seek expert counsel before giving up. I love that story because what it tells you is someone who was searching for something for so long and they got so close, so close, three feet, and they gave up. And I look at some of your Christian journeys and you get so close to breakthrough, so close to freedom, so close to walking into a promise and you give up. And actually holding to a promise, sometimes there can be such pain in that process of getting to the fulfillment of what God's spoken in your life. You might say, our marriage is gonna go to a breakthrough and a victory and just so close to that, you think, I'm just gonna give up this counseling. It's not working. I'm not gonna work through this. And you walk away not realizing you are three feet from the victory in your marriage. So close. there's so many areas where we give up, but here's the thing. God wants you to know he will establish his covenant with you. He will establish his promises with you. The word covenant is something we don't understand in our culture. And I'll end on this is we understand promises because in my household, we didn't really use the word promise because it wasn't as strong. Me and my brother would say our promise and then we'd break the promise. That's how brothers rolled. But when we said on my honor, that meant it was the truth. We could, we, we could never lie if we said, on your honor. But here's the thing, when God says, I establish my covenant, it's like, on my honor. This is firm, secure, no matter what. And here's the reality. Uh, Dan shared it, that the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ, do you know what happens? You become a part of Jesus, you become saved and be brought into Christ as Ephesians teaches. And that means that you're brought into every promise that was made to Jesus is now made to you. Amen? So just as the four men were beaten in this story, Jesus was beaten and put on a cross so that you could be saved and redeemed and put into the bloodline of Christ so that the promises are yes and amen in Christ. 
But the reality is, you, a lot of us still don't understand this because we look at marriage and we think that is what a covenant is. But our modern day marriages are what are called extrinsic covenants, meaning a covenant that is conditional. And Anna saying, yes, I do. And me saying, I do. That for richer, for poorer, for better, for worse, all these things that we say to one another. But what we see in society is marriage covenants aren't kept. So we think covenant just is like a promise. It can be broken, it can't. When God makes a covenant, he doesn't make an extrinsic covenant which relies on two people saying, I do, I do. What he did is he made an intrinsic covenant, which means this, that God made a covenant with God. So when Jesus died on the cross, he died and shouted, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So he took the rejection of all of our sin on himself, became our sin, so that we could become his righteousness in him. So when Jesus died on the cross, he was making a covenant with the Father on our behalf, so that when we get saved, we're not brought into an extrinsic covenant, we're brought into an intrinsic covenant, which means we're brought into Christ. And when you're in Christ, you are in Him. It's not conditional on you producing the bricks. It's conditional on Him producing His blood. So you're saved not by producing. You're saved by believing. You're not saved by works any longer because it's not based on what you do. It's based on what He did. So when He shouted, it is finished, He meant it is paid and filled. There's nothing more you and I could do in order to make ourselves right with God. It was a total free gift. This is, man, I'm losing my voice here. Mm. This is what radically changed my life. Because when all hell broke through in my life, you know what I hold to? The covenant of God. The promises that he made, they're yes and amen in Christ because of the bloodline of Jesus. It was secured in Christ. So when you're trying to perform for God or you come in here and you're like, my feelings aren't right, all of this stuff, don't focus on your feelings, look at Christ. Because He is your righteousness. He is your security. He is your life. He is the one who said, oh, why, why does He say, never will I leave you or forsake you? Because of Jesus. Because the Father will never leave or forsake Jesus. And if you are in Jesus, then He'll never leave you or forsake you. Is that good news? I can see your minds turning. The reality is you are free because of Jesus' blood and what he did. And he said, I'll take you as my own. That I remember when I was a teenager, worship team, could you guys please come up? Um, when I was a teenager, I looked around me and I thought, man, my life's got to change because this is going nowhere. My life is not going to end up anywhere but in drugs and music. But when I looked suddenly and Jesus brought me into the covenant and the promised covenant of God, suddenly I knew I had a security and a father that I never knew I had. And I knew I could trust him no matter what. But the problem with some of us is we're projecting our experience on earth with our human fathers or mothers, and we are projecting that onto our father in heaven. And he's saying, please stop doing that. You need to start allowing my word to define who I am. And not one time can I think of where God let his people die. Not once. God's, guys, this truth will literally get you through a storm. 
And I can see some of you where God's working in your life right now. And it's you saying, Dylan, but you don't know what I've been through. You don't know what's happened in my life. You don't know what, you know, the, the, the pain that I've gone through. Well, I wanted to explain to you, my friend, you don't know what Jesus fully went through on that cross. If you understand the cross, everything makes sense. The cross of Christ is where it all comes to culmination. And you look at Jesus on the cross, literally being, now some theologians will disagree with me on this. You're welcome to. But Jesus, when he said, my God, why have you forsaken me? The reason Jesus was forsaken and actually forsaken was because he actually became your sin. And the Bible says his eyes are too pure to look on evil. Imagine your own child becoming the very thing you despised so that he could accept strangers that he loved. So when you're suddenly groveling for mercy, you need to understand Jesus groveled on the cross in your sin so that when he brings you in, he says, my son, my daughter, you are free and you are righteous just as much as I am righteous. Why? Because of your own righteous deeds? No, because of the righteousness of Christ himself. God made him who had no sin to be sin for you so that in Christ, you might become the righteousness of God. It is, an, it is a gifted righteousness. It's not a worked righteousness. It is something that is given to you and said, actually, you are made this as a totally, totally free gift. Can you imagine if you just opened your bank account today and there's 20 million pounds in your account? Some people are like, this is that, pros I knew that'd be that prosperity church. No, no. <laughs> If you open your account, there's 20 million pounds. Just don't forget to tithe like three times as much. No, I'm just kidding. But you open that account, you'd, you'd, you'd think, what did I, what? It must, what would you think? I, I'd, I'd be like, this, better, this is probably a mistake. I better move it to another account quickly and then fly out the country. Who knows what I'm saying? Like, let's, let's be honest here. What would you be doing? But what? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm just waiting for the, the mistake to happen. But... <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I remember one, oh gosh, this is a funny story. The, a guy walked into, when I was an estate agent, he walked in and he had some shares and, and he was in the office, he opened his thing and the shares, the calculation was totally wrong. So he bought the shares for like a pound or something and the shares were showing that they were worth like a hundred pounds. So he, his, whatever, 6,000 pounds or 600,000 showing on the thing. And he's like, in the office, and it's almost like he won the lottery. And um, I remember, because he was actually like an old reverend guy. It's a really weird thing. And he, he, he showed it to me. He's like, I think I'm rich. And I'm like, and I looked at it, and everything was showing, like the price of the individual share, time, and I, was, I got my calculator out. I timed it for him. I'm like, dude, you better sell those shares quickly, because if that, the market's gone that crazy, you better get out. And Barclays had made a mistake on his account. So he went to try and sell them and obviously the trade didn't execute at that price. And you could see the disappointment in this man when he realized his 600,000 was still only worth like 6,000 pounds. So I laughed at him. But, but the reality is some of you, <laughs> Lauren's like, nah. some of you, that's what you think God's like. It's like you, you look in your account and what you see is purity and holiness. And you think, 
that doesn't belong to me. That must be a mistake. I didn't do anything to deserve or earn that. And you look at it, and all you're waiting for, this is what you're waiting for. You're waiting for Barclays to send you the letter and say, sorry, we made a mistake. And when you, when you call Barclays, you're not calling them with confidence, hey, I want my 600,000. What you're calling them saying, is it really worth that much? Well, I wanna tell you, my friend, today, you have holiness, purity, righteousness, all the promises of God are in your account and they are yes and amen in Christ. And you don't have to call God shaking and saying, God, is this really true of me? If you, don't, if you know what I've done? No, 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 you can call your father in heaven and say, Father, thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you that I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus as a free gift. And I'm gonna walk in the fullness of that because that's what you died for. That I know that I messed up this week. I know that I you know, swore at someone in the traffic. I know that I really struggled with that insecurity with somebody. I know that I shouldn't have said that about someone. I know that I shouldn't have, if you're struggling with pornography, I know I shouldn't have watched that. I know I shouldn't have done that. And you sitting there, and I wanna remind you, my friend, let's look to the promises of God, the truth of God, that you are free, holy, and righteous. And from that place, you receive the gifts of God, not by your performing and your working, because your performing and your working is like filthy rags in God's eyes. When you're doing that from a heart of trying to prove yourself to God, the Bible says it's like menstrual cloth in God's eyes. Not your sinful acts, your righteous acts. Amen? Can we stand? Please. Jesus. I wonder if you guys are happy just to raise your hands in front of you. Holy Spirit, we just ask you now, Lord, to come and have your way. Come and move. Come and move, Lord Jesus. I pray, Lord Jesus, come and fill people's accounts that are full of guilt and shame right now, that are full of an orphan spirit. I pray for the spirit of sonship now to show them that no mistake has been made, that they have the free gift of your grace and righteousness. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. You are holy, friend, because he is holy. He says, be holy for I am holy. And we think we have to work for that. There's a free gift of his holiness. He has sanctified you and set you apart. He wants you to live from that. Lord, I pray, come and break off the chains of the orphan spirit right now. Come and break off the chains of the slavery spirit on people's lives right now. Come and break off that fear in Jesus' name right now. I pray, Holy Spirit, come and break off that guilt in people's hearts right now. Lord Jesus, I pray, Lord Jesus, come and restore hearts again. Establish your covenant with your people here today. Let them hear the word of the Father. You are mine and I am yours. You are mine and I am yours. You are free and not a slave. 
You are totally, totally righteous as a free gift in the name of Jesus. You are healed and restored. And the promises of God are yours. They are yes and amen, not in you doing the right things, but in you being right in Christ. Jesus, come and have your way. Come and establish freedom right now. Come and establish holiness right now that we would live in who we are because of who you are, Jesus. Those that don't know you, I pray, come and draw them in right now as we worship, Lord. I pray that they would respond to your calling today, Lord. I pray you would draw hearts that are far from you right now as we worship you, Jesus. Jesus.